Randy, uh, when you so you, you actually go, you know, do you, what sporting store do you like to go to the most? Do you like the Bass Pro Shop and all well, that? Or? I actually like Academy because Chad gives me discounts over all there. All right, so. all right, okay, okay. Now, once you get that stuff, you just stick it in your closet. Don't worry about it. Like Saturday, you're not going, are you? You're not going to really go fishing. Oh, of course, you? I'm going to go, and I treat okay. this stuff like a baby. Right. Um, nobody can touch it. Okay, so if I were to look, if I were to take your checkbook. Not that I'm going to do it, but if I took your checkbook and I looked through your expenditure in a given year and, and Nikki and I sat down together, I, I would be able to agree with Nikki. This Randy really invests in fishing. He's a big bass fisherman, right? Yes, Nikki doesn't let me have the checkbook anymore. So, okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. All of you that are fishermen have the kind of equipment. Those of you that raise your hand, how many of you have multiple? Gary, do you have multiple rods? Okay. The point I want you to understand is what you are passionate about you make these kind of investments. I want to ask some of you, a lot of you don't have any of this equipment because you're not into fishing. In other words, if you're not a fisherman, you don't have any of these rods. You haven't spent any money for that because you don't have a passion for fishing. In all of our lives, our finances reveal what we're passionate about. Randy's finances reveal that he's passionate about largemouth bass fishing. In fact, he was going to bring his boat in here today, and we both said, well, it's going to be a little bit hard to get it through the door. Randy loves to fish for largemouth bass, but Randy also, as I'm going to share with you at the end of the message, loves to fish for men and women. And that's what is the passion of Randy and Nikki's life. And I want it to become the passion of your life. And your home finances are not really going to work until we can look at your home. I'm not that we're going to do this. But you should be able to look at your home finance and you should be able to know that you have a passion to reach men and women for Jesus. I want to share with you that I don't think your home finances for any of you. I'm talking about little kids. I'm talking about teenagers. I'm talking about college kids. I don't care where you are in the spectrum. I want you to think about your finances coming together because we can look at your finances, and I'm thinking of finances not just in terms of the money that you make, but what you do with your hands, what you do with your feet, what you do with your body. In order for your finances to really come together, you need to have them being invested in a great, great cause. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Like, I don't want any one of you to live your life and arrive at the end of it and feel like, man, I gave my strength, I gave my skills, I made money, and I gave to this thing, and it turned out to not mean anything. And I want to talk to you this morning about the greatest cause of all. Jesus told the disciples, follow me. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he talked about fishing. And what Jesus said to a bunch of Galilean fishermen, they were like Randy. They weren't into bass fishing. They were into St. Peter's fish fishing. And they would fish every night in the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus took a group of fishermen that were avid fishermen. They did it for a living. And Jesus said, I want Simon Peter, John, James, I want you to follow me. What I want to share with you, if you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus is going to catch you up into the most exciting adventure in all the world. And it's much more exciting than catching largemouth bass. It's much more exciting. One of the most exciting kind of fishermen fishing that I've ever done is fly fishing in Montana. I love doing that. Stan Bachman and I and Sandale Nunn and some others have, have caught marlin out in the Baha. And I want to share with you what I want to talk to you about today. Catching men, fishing for men and women is the most exciting, the most incredible, fulfilling thing 
in all the world. And I want to tell you why. And it begins with the Apostle Paul. Some of you have the idea, because it's being preached to you in all the media, everywhere you go this week, you're going to hear this, is that the majority of the American culture is Christian. And what that means is that they're from the Puritan stock, they're white Caucasians for the most part, and they believe in this thing called Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, which is a bunch of baloney, because to be honest with you, the African-American culture was deeply permeated in our country's history. A lot of them heard the incredible good news about Jesus, and some of our greatest music comes from that part of our culture. And it's a total misnomer if you think of Christianity just for a small group of people. It's for the whole United States, red and yellow, black and white. So that's a lie to think that that Jesus is just for a segment of the American culture. He's for everybody. But another even more powerful lie is the idea that, in fact, the world looks at us. The Islamic world looks at us as we're a Christian nation because we're dominantly Christian in our culture, supposedly. And so Muhammad is for them, but Jesus is not for them. And a lot of you have the idea, yeah, you know, we have Jesus, they have Muhammad. Some of you are going to be with some Jewish friends this week, and your Jewish friends are going to say that they have Moses, and you have Jesus, and your Islamic people have Muhammad, and isn't this all great, and, and we just, that's what we all believe. And I want to challenge you that that's not at all what I want you to be committed to. In fact, wind should never go to Iraq, if that's true. And I want to share with you why I believe it's so important for him to go to Iraq and why I think it's important for you to talk to waiters and waitresses and that wait on you during the week and that talk to your friends at work and to go out to lunch with buddies. And when people are suffering, you can ask, is there anything I can pray about? And you pray for them and, and you, you learn to just live Christ before them because Christ is so awesome. You say, Dave, why do you believe that? Well, this whole thing, really, the most powerful proclaimer of the good news in the first century was a Jew. And he wasn't raised in this stuff. In fact, this guy was raised, and he was like a, a, an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic Jew. They're the most vehement. In fact, even in Israel today, when my son Jonathan was in those compounds with some of the most vehement, zealous Jews, they were from New York City, where I was raised. I asked Jonathan one day, what language did you speak in Hebrew to? And they said, no, why would you speak in Hebrew? They're from Brooklyn. You know, we spoke in English. You know, it was easy for both of us, you know. And that's true. Well, Saul of Tarsus was that kind of a zealot religionist. So zealous that he thought that all these crazy Jewish people, which at that time, it was all Jewish people that were responding to the fact that Jesus was the son of David who had done in the cross to pay the penalty for sins. And then, and then they had this crazy idea that Jesus rose again from the dead. And they started going all over Jerusalem telling people, this Jesus that you saw hanging on a cross a few weeks ago is the Savior that the Old Testament promised, and he hung on the cross to save you from your sins and to forgive you, but incredibly, he rose again from the dead, and you can walk outside the walls of Jerusalem, and there's an empty tomb out there. And Saul heard people talking like that, and he hit the fan. And he was a guy that put action into what he thought, and he started putting believers in jail. So that's where we start out. He's a, he's a zealous Jew persecuting people like you that believe in Jesus, and he gets permission from the religious leaders to snuff out this little fledgling sectarian group that he thinks is a heretical group of Jewish people that are following a false messiah. And we've got to do everything we can to snuff them out. So he gets papers to go north 
into Damascus, the same city that is the capital of Syria today. He goes up to the north, and as he's getting near to Damascus, suddenly a bright light appears to him because Jesus is light. In fact, when you go to heaven, you're not going to live in darkness. You're going to live in radiating glorious light, the most glorious light you've ever seen. And the light also means that Jesus is pure morality. He's pure holiness. It means that he's beauty that's unimaginable. It's all that kind of a thing. But Jesus just knocks Saul to his feet. And then Saul hears these words. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus from heaven responds, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Why are you kicking against the pricks? In other words, why are you fighting so hard? And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, some of your friends at work and some of your family members that curse you and get angry with you, some of them persecute you, some of them reject you, some of them won't talk to you, some of them have a lot of anger as soon as you try to bring up Jesus. And rather than that discouraging, you need to feel like that has evidence that this is the truth. In fact, when you get that kind of pressure against you, it means that the Holy Spirit's working on their heart. And Saul of Tarsus is a exhibit of that reality. Because the, the Saul was fighting so hard because God's Holy Spirit loves Saul so much. This is like he loves your friends so much that he's knocking on his heart's door. All that persecution, trying to snuff it out, he's fighting against the truth. The neat thing about our precious Savior, and I want you to know this, you don't have to, you don't have to force Jesus on anybody. Jesus will show up in people's lives. Sometimes he does it knocking them dead in the road like that, knocking them out. Usually he does it very quietly. And very patiently and slowly but surely open the door. It's one of the neatest things for me as a pastor teacher is just to work with Jesus, just to be at his side. I'm praying with all my heart that Jesus is going to be quietly speaking to every one of your hearts and turning on the lights. And that's what he did for, the, for Saul. He was blinded for several days, about three days. The Lord came to Ananias and says, Ananias, Ananias was an old, committed Jewish believer up there in Damascus. And the Lord says to Ananias, you need to go and lay your hands on Saul's eyes because he's blind and I've got great plans for him. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use him to proclaim the gospel to a bunch of Gentile people. And Ananias says, God, you're nuts. That's my translation. He said, this is the guy. It's a trick. He's trying to infiltrate our movement. I'm not going near the guy. And the Lord says, Ananias, you do what I told you to do. So this dear old believer goes to this Saul that's flat out on his knees, hadn't seen. And Ananias puts his hands on Paul's eyes. The man who became Paul. Saul of Tarsus became Paul the great apostle. That's where our movement began. Our movement began with transforming resurrection power. That's why you want to fish for men. You guys want to see lives change? Wouldn't you like to get at the end of your life and say, man, I want you to know that I introduced people to someone who gave them resurrection power. It helped them overcome their anger. It helped them overcome their lying. It helped them overcome their drunkenness. It helped them overcome their immorality. It helped them to live a life where their families started coming together. They saw the power of God. And ultimately, even when they died on their deathbed, they were still believed in this incredible Savior. And I saw hope, even in the face of death. And then when they die, we have a service, and we feel really sad because we miss them, but we also have this deep-seated confidence they're alive now more than they've ever been alive isn't that an awesome person that can do that how many of you believe that's true 
That's what we're about. And I want, you, I want you to be really clear in this. That's what the Apostle Paul got a hold of. He realized that, that this isn't religion. He realized that Moses actually pointed the way to this resurrected Jesus. That if you really read Moses carefully, you'd end up loving Yeshua, Mashiach. That's Hebrew for the Joshua, Jesus, the Savior, Yahweh's Savior, who's the anointed one. And he told Jewish people that he debated in the synagogue. And that's what I want us to do. I want to raise up kids that will go to university and go to synagogue with their Jewish friends and, and know Deuteronomy 18 and know Isaiah 53 and know Malachi chapter 5 and know the book of Hosea and know the prophets and show, just like Paul did, how it all leads to Jesus. And yeah, they'll have fights and they shouldn't be vitriolic and mean themselves, but people will get hot when you talk like that. I want school kids to raise their hand and say, hey, you, know, you know, I believe God created heaven and earth. And I've read, uh, you know, I've read intelligent design. The odds are against what you're teaching me, that it all happened by chance. And then just drop it. Let the teacher go on from there. I want kids to say, I, I believe in Jesus. It makes a lot more sense that the ultimate God in heaven would try to talk to us. And sent his son in a way we could understand it. We wouldn't have to have some weird, you know, private, very secret ways that we learn. My God, it makes sense he would send the Savior. And I happen to believe in the most popular, the most well-known, the most influential person in all of history. I believe in Jesus, and I'm proud of him. And when someone says, well, why are you so proud about him? And I want them to say, I want little kids to be to say, I'm proud of him because he rose again from the dead. You tell me someone else to trust him that rose again from the dead. That's what we're about. I want you to understand that that's what we're about. If you go back in history, what we're about today is just like the Apostle Paul found out Jesus rose again from the dead. We can experience that same kind of reality that Jesus rose again from the dead. And that's what makes it so different from other religions. I want you to get excited about the good news about Jesus. And the Apostle Paul tells the Philippians, he began the book, he says, being confident in this very thing that he which began a good work in us will continue until the day of Jesus Christ. And what I want to be a part of with you is I believe that the resurrection power of Jesus has come upon many of your lives, children's life and teenagers' lives and college students' lives and adults' lives and older people's lives. And I think you've really seen Jesus transforming your life. And I want you to get so excited about the power of the resurrection in your life that you share it with others. You go fishing. You go fishing. And so we, you invest in going fishing. You pour your hands, your feet, your gifts, everything into going fishing. Now, when you do that, the Lord's going to take you to school. And I want you to look at Philippians chapter 4, because we want to learn two things. We've, as we go on and finish, I want to talk about the school today, and I want to talk about the sacrifice. But it all begins with what I'm sharing you, is I want you to make your highest priority in your life that, man, I'm going fishing with Jesus, and I'm going fishing to help people that come to know Jesus. And that's what Paul was involved in. If you look at verse 10. Paul's in prison when he wrote these words. So I told you about the beginning of Paul's ministry. Now I'm going to jump all the way to the end. He's in prison. He's lost everything from a human standpoint. He has nothing. In just a few months, he got his head cut off for what he believed. And yet he, over 2,000 years, his writings have, have transformed millions upon millions of lives. He, he's one of the foundational leaders of the most powerful spiritual movement that's ever been unleashed on planet Earth. A movement like in a place like China has 100 million believers that believe like you. 
that are challenging one another to reach into, so you're, you're, you're not in this alone. In fact, American Christians are kind of on the, the backwater right now, you might say, of what the real power of the Spirit of God is doing in the world. And I want us to get out of the backwater right up into the front of what God is doing. The Apostle Paul is the guy that, that was, the Holy Spirit used to initiate a lot of this in the first century after Jesus rose again from the dead. And now he's in prison and he writes in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. You've renewed thinking about me and, and expressing uh, your concern and your care for me. That's the idea of that word concern. Indeed, you have always been concerned for me, but you did not have opportunity to show it. Evidently, when Paul got thrown in prison in Rome... Somehow the Philippians who live in the northern part of Greece lost touch with him and they didn't, they weren't able to know about his needs. And so this was a church family that down through Paul's ministry would give to him, as I'll show you in just a minute, to help him in the cause of the gospel. But evidently they lost touch with him and so they're, they're, they, Paul's saying that you wanted to help me but you weren't able to do it. But now they've figured it out. They've reconnected. This is in the days before the internet and before telephones and cell phones. So they've reconnected. Maybe somebody uh, came to Philippi and said, hey, you heard Paul's down in prison. He said in verse 11, I am not saying this because I'm in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Some of you don't give to the Lord. Because some of you had parents from the time that you were small that taught that this whole religious thing is a racket. And I want you to know that a lot of religious stuff is a racket. So don't give to it. But I also want to tell you the truth today. It is just a lie that a guy like the Apostle Paul that believed in the resurrection of Jesus always asked for money. In fact, I want you to know something about Paul. In the first century, the Apostle Paul had a stated policy that he wouldn't ask for money. In fact, his stated policy is, I want to be a tent maker. I want to work with my hands so that I can give the gospel free of charge. So it, Paul is very clear that we should help those that are going to the mission field and help those that are proclaiming the gospel. It's totally legitimate for us to give. But I want you to know that it is just not true that everybody that's committed to proclaiming the gospel is in it just for the money because the Apostle Paul wasn't in, in it for the money. In fact, to be honest with you, Paul would tell you, I don't want your money. Because I, I make tents. And so Paul's saying, I didn't receive your gift because I needed something. In fact, Paul goes on and expresses what he's learned in the school of finance from the Lord. And this is what I want you to learn today. Some of you are not going to ever get your household finances straightened out. Because you think that your finances determine your contentment. That if you have enough money... And if you can pay your bills, then you'll be okay. You'll be content. In other words, your whole focus, this week you're going to focus. By 40, I'm going to be a millionaire. By 50, I'm going to be a multimillionaire. And I'm going to have these investments. And man, when I really get there, then I'm going to be, I'm going to have happiness. I'm going to be content. And I want to just share with you, just test it out if you, if you believe that. Because our culture challenges every place you look, from the reality TV shows, everything else, to winning lotteries, everything else. The idea is if you only had multi-millions of dollars, then you would be content. Now, what I want to challenge you to do is you find someone that is a multi-millionaire and you ask them, are you content? Are you satisfied? Deep in your soul, are you really, really happy? And then, does that contentment last? So just try it out. You can find out. David lied to me. Money really does make me content. I'm going to find out people that have a lot of money and they're content. 
And I want to just, my challenge to you is that I don't believe that money can buy you one second of real contentment. I don't think money can buy you one second of real happiness. And I want to share with you in my own life that I have had moments where I am really satisfied. There's been times in my, my marriage that I've been totally satisfied. And there's been times with my kids that I've been totally content. There's been times right now with our church family where I've been really satisfied. And money doesn't have anything to do with it. And that's what the Apostle Paul learned. The Apostle Paul learned an interesting thing. The Apostle Paul learned that I find contentment, I find that sense of deep inner satisfaction and joy and completeness and peace. But it doesn't come from money. And then Paul says something really interesting. He says, when it comes to money, I've learned to be able to handle two things. And he tells us something about what's going to happen with money. He says, I know what it is to be in need. How many of you know what it is to be in need? Anybody here know what it is? How many of you have ever, ever really been in need? All right. So Paul knows that, okay? Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. He says, I also know what it is to have plenty. How many of you have ever had some moments of plenty? Okay, how many of you in need? How many of you have had plenty? The truth of the matter is, I want to share something about finances. This is a profound thing. If you'll learn this in business, it'll totally change your life. I'm going to tell you what the business, what business is going to do the next few years. So you can say it. We learned it at Midlothian Bible Church. You know, people pay big guts of bucks to find out what, and guts, to find out what Greenspan's going to say. Well, I'm going to tell you what the economy is going to do. This is what it's going to do. It's going to be a sine curve. The economy is going to go up, and there's going to be years of plenty, and then it's going to go down, and there's going to be years of want. That's what it's going to do. You say, Dave, how do you know that? It's been doing that ever since the days of Joseph. Joseph had seven years of plenty, and then he had what in Egypt? Seven years of? So you know what the economy is going to do? In your own life, I could take every one of your finances. You know what? Some of you are going to go up, and you're going to buy airplanes. You're going to build houses. You're going to make tons of money. You're going to be on top of the world. And then you know what? You're going to lose all of it. And you're going to starve. And you're going to be hungry. And you're going to be bankrupt. You're going to have really hard times. And then you know what? You're going to recover. You're going to go up again. Every one of you in this room, if you look over your whole life, you're going to have times where you're up and you're abundant and then you're going to go down. In fact, how many of you ever heard like business people that come into your business and when it's high, when it's on, it's a sign curve. When it's on the upside, how many of you said, oh man, business is great. I just get a badge. This is awesome. And then those that are older say, you just wait, man. This isn't the way it always is. How many of you, is that true? And this is what we tend to do. When we're up, we tend to feel like it's going to stay up forever. That's the way it is. So we use all of our resources and we don't plan and we don't save like Joseph challenged the Egyptians to do. So when we crash, we don't have anything. What the Lord wants to teach us to do is we know how to, and I want to share something with you too. The Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be in need on the lowest places and I've learned to abound. But you know what else he says here? He says, whether I'm abounding or not, he says this, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty and want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying? He's saying, he uses a Stoic word. The Stoics taught that circumstances can't bug me. Circumstances can't bother me. They can't throw me out. They can't destroy me. 
The Apostle Paul uses their word. But it's still like with a guy you wouldn't really want to get to know personally because they're like this. I'm the, I'm the captain of my fate. I can handle everything. You know, if I'm facing terrible tragedies where a drunk driver hits my family, I can handle it. I'm tough. Those people crack. They're like trees that are too rigid. You see, that's what we face. The person that says, nothing bothers me. That's a person that stopped loving. That's a person that stops connecting. I don't want that person. The person that depends upon themselves, nothing's going to bother me. The Apostle Paul uses that word that the Stoics use, but he's saying, I've learned to be okay, to be self at peace, to be okay, to be satisfied. And I've learned to be okay when I'm up, and I've learned to be okay when I'm down. And this is what I tell you about finances. If finances don't really aren't the Lord of your life, then the Lord Jesus can help you to enjoy the abundant times and he can help you enjoy the low times. In my own ministry, sometimes I've gone, like the Apostle Paul in his life, one day when he was at Philippi, he actually was in Lydia's household. Lydia was a very wealthy business person. She would be the equivalent of a multimillionaire probably, and Paul went to her house. After she came to know the Lord Jesus, Paul and Silas went and stayed at her house. She insisted that they accept her hospitality and all of her servants take care of her. And I like to do it. Like I've gone to some friends in Elkhart, Indiana. He invented this weird suspension system that's used on all your travel trailers. And my friend has often had us to do meetings like marriage retreats. And Mary and I love to go to his house because they're multimillionaires. And so when we get in their bed, you sink three feet into the bed. And man, I go, Jesus, this is awesome serving you. I just love serving you in Elkhart, Indiana. <laughs> That's awesome. But I've also, and, that, and the Apostle Paul is saying, I've learned to enjoy that. Some of you learn not to enjoy that. Some of you have the idea, if you're really serving the Jesus, it should really hurt badly. And so you're like my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is now home with the Lord, but he was a medical doctor. He brought an Alpha Romeo. And John, Mary's oldest brother, never told me. He says, Dave, you know, I'm a medical doctor. I can afford it. The Lord's blessed. I'm going to help a bunch of whatever, whoever makes Alfa Romeo Italian or something. I'm going to give a bunch of them work and, because they designed the car. And I bought it because I think it's a great engineering thing. And when I drive down Route 8 on Interstate 80, I just say, God, this is awesome to have the wind blowing. I love enjoying this convertible. And I bought an Alfa Romeo because I'm abundant right now. And I, it's just fun to have this car. And I pray Jesus. John didn't tell me. You know what John would say? Now, David, the reason I bought this car is it has great gas mileage. I remember Mary and I left. We just busted out laughing. We figured out how much gas he could drive a great big 18-wheeler and pay for the gas. You see, it wasn't... But that's what... Why did John do that? Because we're all like that as believers. We have this love-hate relationship. If you're really godly then you don't enjoy the abundance. I have it very concretely. I told some of you in the email that Mary and I took care of our granddaughters the last few days. That's because Joel and Courtney went for a much-needed break down the Dominican Republic. Joel writes me an email saying that the northern part of the Dominican Republic was hit by a terrible storm. So he feels guilty about going to the southern part of the island and having a vacation. And that's the way all of you think. So he helped the Dominican Republic by canceling his trip. And didn't go. That really, really helped the Dominican Republic. Boy, it's awesome. All the, all, the, all the vacation dollars are gone. The economy completely dries up. And you weep and wail and moan for their hurricane and the terrible tragedy that happened, but you really helped them. I said, Joel, go to the southern part of the island. Pump finances in that place. 
And sure, there's injustice. Sure, we need to be part of not making sure that the dollars need to come down. But the weird thing about economies is it doesn't work the way you think it should work. Some of you have the idea, if you're abounding, you've been evil. You did bad things, so you don't enjoy it. When you really have a hold of what Paul is saying, he says, I've learned how to be abounding. And I rejoice in that. I receive as a good gift. It's part of God's blessing to me. But you also need to remember there's going to be times. Like I've been in those big homes. I was also in Portugal speaking one time on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean. It was so cold. And I was raised in upstate New York where it's 40 degrees below zero. Man, I have never been so cold because in, the, in New York State, I can get warm. I can get electric blankets and I can get big, you know, Pendleton wool coats and everything. But in Portugal, the winds howling off the, uh, the, more, the, the, you know, the Atlantic Ocean. And man, I cannot get warm. There wasn't any hot water. And man, we're in this little, you know, it, everything is tile floors. I'm saying, oh, goodness. But Paul is saying, hey, Dave, Jesus is here. You're a, this is the low time. It was a great time. As I look back at those experiences, Elkhart, Indiana, Portugal, when it comes to serving Jesus, probably Portugal won. Man, we played soccer in a pouring down rain. I couldn't believe these crazy Portuguese in America. When it rains, we don't play soccer. They said, man, this is awesome. It's a gift from God to slide and get muddy. And it's awesome. As I look upon that, that was such a hoot. But it was a time of not having much, wasn't that great of food, not great surroundings. All of you can describe that. I want you to learn to be like Paul. Paul learned that the economy goes up and down. But I've learned I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you don't have a job today, your heavenly daddy isn't cursing you. He's not rejecting you, but he's saying, listen to me. I want to teach you. I want to teach you. I want to mold you. I want to help you to learn what's really important. I'll provide for you. And you need to do the things that you've been learning from the word of God. You do need to produce. You need to get out there and work. But I want you to realize your whole life hasn't caved in. You don't have to feel like you're a loser because life is a lot more important than just having a fancy job. And that'll give you the courage to get out there and do this week what you need to do. We lost our 15-year-old brother to a drunk driver. So I don't speak from a distance. I've driven those miles to walk into Mary's mom and dad's house and have Mary's mom and dad break down in our arms. I've gone into the mortuary with a 15-year-old strong kid that's all together except for a big broken aorta in the heart of his chest. So when I tell you Jesus can strengthen us and through all things we can do it, I don't say that lightly. I spent all week long for the last four days with a beautiful little girl that is awesome, but she does have Rett syndrome. And I watched her in the bathtub last night and her eyes don't work exactly right. And and the way that she uses her hands doesn't work just like some of you are wrestling with that. So I'm not speaking lightly, you guys. But I want to share with you that Jesus meets your need. And it's not just blood and guts. It's joy. It's thanksgiving. It's love. You find out as, as you work with these situations that you thought you never can handle that the resurrection, resurrected Jesus shows up and he gives you love and he gives you commitments and closeness to one another and he gives you the joy of intimacy with someone that, that you thought you would reject. And that's what I covered for this church family. That's what Paul learned. It wasn't just in the high times. 
It's awesome, the load times. And that works not just financially. It's not only when I rejoice that my son Josh got accepted at Yale University. But it's also when Joel calls me and says, hey, our oldest granddaughter has a Rett syndrome. What are we going to do now? In the midst of those tears, the laughter and the tears, I can do all things through Christ. And I, as your pastor teacher, I'm sharing with you from my guts, that is true. Because together with you, we can do all things through Christ with strength in this me. And I close with this. I want you to be willing not only to go to school and learn to be contented in the highs and the lows, but I want you to start sacrificing to go fishing for Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells the Philippians, look what he says at the end of this chapter real quickly. It says, yes, it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of my acquaintance with the gospel when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I've received the gift from Epaphroditus, the gift that you sent. Notice what Paul says. They are a fragrant offering. They are acceptable sacrifice. They are pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. What, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. The Philippians were poor people. They didn't have a lot of money. But the Philippians got a hold of this business of going fishing for Jesus. I told you Paul didn't like to accept finances. And Paul is almost hesitant to tell the Philippians. He's so excited that they gave to him. Because he wants to just work. But the Philippians were so passionate about fishing for men that they, it, the love just busted forth from them and they gave money to Paul so that, that he could keep proclaiming the gospel. And that's what I want to tell you today. I want every one of you in your gifts, the use of your hands, in the gifts of your feet, in the gifts of your resources, whether you're spinning tops or spinning basketballs, or being an accountant, or being a Wall Street broker, or making little rocks that become, you know, taking big rocks, smash them to little rocks so they can become big rocks again, which is the essence of the cement industry. I don't care what you do. You can be a diesel mechanic. I want every single one of you to be caught up in the vision. I, what I'm really involved in, I'm making it possible. I'm fishing for men this week, and I'm going to use my resources to help others to fish for men. We're part of the whole body of Christ in Ellis County. And I want you to have a vision. I want to pray for the day that Ellis County will be, Christianity Today will have to come here and interview us. What's going on in that county? How are they reaching around the world through the body of Christ? That's the vision I have. I want you to go fishing. Carol Thomas just retired from Ashgrove Cement. What does it mean to go fishing? Carol, when I met him, was just a young guy. He was a bronc rider, pilot, did all kinds of things. But we sat in a little church circle with eight, fam- eight guys, really. And we made a decision. We want to get intimate with Jesus. We want to tell others the good news. And then people that come to know Jesus, we're going to help them to grow. And we're going to help them to grow through the teaching of the word, prayer, family intimacy that's generated through Christ. And then we're going to praise and worship. That's what we learned. And now 31 years have come by. And Carol retired from his secular business. And now he can devote himself full-time to the spiritual business. But a bunch of men and women gave honor, which is what you do at a time like that. Was it worth it for Carol to do that? 
Hugh Huber stood up and said, I love Carol. I've only known him for a couple of years. But a tree just fell on my truck during that bad storm. Carol called me up and said, I have two hours. And Carol showed up at Hugh's house with a chainsaw and started cutting that big limb off Hugh's truck. That's what I'm talking about. That's being a fisher of men. That lets everybody know out there in the Oak Branch area where you live. If you're a believer, if you're in a family of those that love Jesus, you're never by yourself. You always have help. So some of you say, well, Dave, I can't give any money. How many of you have chainsaws? How many of you have time? Our children's ministry. Right now today, Tim Wallace isn't with us. You know why? Because he's taking a bunch of our kids. They're going to be the junior high counselors for hundreds of junior high kids from all over the Middle West. That's where Tim is today. Is that worth it? Those of you that are business people, you should ask me. I want every one of you to ask me. If you're a business person, one of your major things in business, show me the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Is it worth it to send those kids to help counsel kids at camp? At Carol's party, the guy that took Carol's place in the stock room at Ashgrove Cement, his wife tapped me on the shoulder, tugged me and said, hey, Dave, I want to tell you something. You remember me? And I looked at her and go, I hate those questions. I'm getting Alzheimer's at my old age. But I literally said, yeah, yeah, I, I, can't remember. I went to Maranatha Bible Camp with you. I was one of those teenagers years ago, not too long ago. She's not that old. She said, I went to camp. She's the wife of the guy that's taken Carol's boss. He testified, Carol has changed my life through his testimony for Jesus. And his wife, with a little four-year-old kid running up and pulling on her, she said, I want you to know, Dave, I love Jesus. You helped us to do that. And we are now raising our kids for Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you want something to invest in. Business people, you want to do something with your life? I think we've only begun to find out what it means to fish in Ellis County and in Dallas and in Fort Worth and the world. If you're brand new in our church family, you just walked into a church family that committed a guy to go to Iraq. You know how many millions of dollars the United States is sending to Iraq? My nephew heads for Iraq this week with an M16 in his hand. Marines don't carry AK-47, so don't make that mistake. That's serious for Marine. Ross, my, my precious nephew, loved Jesus with all of his heart, but he's going as a government representative. Isn't it awesome to be part of a church family? We can invest, and I want to challenge you. Wynn's going to need help. Business people, you want to do something with your life? Don't just buy those rods. He had all these rods. Randy brought all these up here. Here's Wynn Morris. He needs to be a fisher of men in Iraq. It's going to cost money. It's going to cost prayer. We need somebody to say, man, I'm going to make that possible. What I want you to think about is, is Jesus alive? Little Blythe, my granddaughter, needs Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can make her talk and dance and be well forever. And maybe she'll never do that on planet Earth. But because Jesus rose again from the dead, because of his good news, she's going to be fine. Little Fiona that's healthy as a horse desperately needs Jesus. Your grandkids. So some of you that are older, you're not. Some of you that are grandparents like me, please do not decide. It's time to retire. 
Because you're in a church family where I'm going to challenge you, you have only just begun. Because this family is going fishing. We're going fishing. And not just for bass on Saturday. We're going fishing for souls, for men and women and boys and girls. And the coolest thing, when Randy catches one of those largemouth bass, they die. When we catch someone for Jesus, they breathe eternal life forever and ever and ever. Randy and Nikki are not only committed to bass fishing, but they're committed to young life. Nikki came to know Jesus through young life. She's not from a church family and understanding the gospel of grace. People made young life possible like you. And Nikki came to know Jesus. And now Randy and Nikki with Joel Fauché and so many in our church family are involved in reaching totally unchurched kids. What I want to challenge you, if you want to get your finances in order, I should be able to see aromas that bring great pleasure to God because you just give self-sacrificially because you're just so in love with the Jesus and the power of his grace. Let's go fishing together. Father, I want to ask you, Lord, that, that you would supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. And I want to pray that as we go fishing with the Lord Jesus this week, because it begins with us opening up our mouth and living our lives and getting out those chainsaws and doing those little things, the self-sacrificial things that show how much we really love Jesus and we love one another. And I want to ask you, Lord, that we'll become part of a powerful sweep of your Holy Spirit's power that brings untold numbers of people into this intimacy with Jesus that we enjoy today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.